You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Let's say hello to one of the best in our business, Charles Davis, CD. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year, guys. Hope you're doing well. We are doing well, and we appreciate you coming back on the show. Let's start with the Saints. They won even though the Carolina defense played well against the run game. So as we look forward to what's coming up this weekend, how do you see the matchup of Kamara and Ingram against a very tough Minnesota defense? Well, look, you know Mike Zimmer, defense coordinator, is the head coach. We know that, right? But the defense coordinator in him has got to be paramount in this game. And Zim's always relished these types of opportunities. I had them earlier this year, and they were getting ready to play Atlanta, in Atlanta. And it was the week after Julio Jones absolutely decimated Tampa Bay. What do you have, uh, 253 yards, two touchdowns, you know, double-digit catches, the whole deal. And so I asked him, I said, Zim, you know, look, this may be, you know, one of those crazy questions about that really doesn't have an answer, but, you know, what do you do to try and defend Julio Jones? I mean, seriously, this guy's secretariat. And he goes, look, uh, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, you know, uh, hmm. And you know how blunt Zim is, right? And he goes, well, let's just say we expect to defend him a tad differently than Tampa Bay did. And what he was saying is, I don't want to criticize anyone, but I can't believe they defended him that way. Well, in their game, Julio caught two passes. So for all that talk about Bill Belichick being that guy that takes away what you do best and takes away what teams do, everyone tries to do that. Mike Zimmer does it better than others. So with Kamara and Ingram, it's not just the run game. It's what do you do when they decide to use Kamara as a receiver? And I thought against Atlanta when I had New Orleans the last time, Kamara got really favorable matchups, especially against the safety count O'Neal. They took advantage of him until they didn't need it anymore. Who's going to be that matchup now when they get Kamara out into coverage? Is Harrison Smith the guy? He's normally a box safety. You know, is it going to be a linebacker who can run? Is it going to be an Anthony Barr? That seems like a mismatch for Kamara in his favor. Are they able to bring in an extra defensive back and keep him on the field and maybe run with five or six for most of the game? Remains to be seen. But I I like the matchup. It's in Minnesota. And if Case Keenum keeps playing at the level he's played, I think Minnesota has an advantage in this game at home. That's my guy. You know, Charles, every time you come on this show, you enlighten this show tremendously when it comes down to talking about Case Keenum. And and here's the thing uh, that I like most about this matchup is while some are giving the edge, of course, to Drew Brees, which deservingly so because of everything that he's accomplished and the experience he has in the postseason, one component, I think, to Case Keenum that no one talks about enough is his elusiveness in the pocket and finding a soft spot to be able to deliver the football the way he needs to accurately. Will that be a big part of because Cameron Jordan, the way we've seen him play over the past few weeks, he can be a mess maker in the backfield of an offense. Do you see that being a big part of why this team could have some success with Case Keenum moving around? Yeah, I do, Cordell. And, you know, I think that what happens, in, and at the risk of me sounding like I'm pandering, for you as a, as a quarterback who had movement skills, I think sometimes it became overblown and we were saying runner versus quarterback. Right. People always fail to fail to get and and you know, and listen, I'm in the media myself so I have to count myself in that. We gotta make sure we get it right. It's those skills that you're talking about, movement skills. Does it buy you extra time? Does it move do you have that little deft slide step to your left or your right to evade a rusher? 
and or find an open lane and sight lines downfield without actually turning into quarterback run game or taking off and escaping the pocket to run? Do you escape the pocket to extend a play and find someone downfield? I think that's what you're alluding to with Case Keenum, and it's been an underrated aspect of his game. And in fact, Mike Zimmer probably around game 13 or 14 of this season said that was the most underrated part of his game. He said that he missed in evaluating him before they took him on as a free agent, that he didn't really give it enough credence about his movement skills because that's been a big part of what they've done. And Pat Shermer, the offense coordinator, has geared the offense to take care of that for him, to put that in there and to make sure that that's a part of what they do. Because the first game those guys played with New Orleans in the season opener on Monday Night Football, Sam Bradford wrecked them from the pocket. I mean, he had a monster night, put up big numbers. I think that Thielen had 100 yards. I think that uh, Stephon um, uh, Diggs had 100 yards. I mean, they just absolutely destroyed them, but not because of movement skills, not because of Sam Bradford's elusiveness. They've had to go in a different direction with Keenum, and it's worked very well for them. So I think that that's going to be a part of it because you mentioned him. I mean, Cameron Jordan off the edge plays the run and the pass equally well. And you heard what he said about Matt Khalil, called him Speed Bump McGee. Well, that's getting a lot of attention because it's the playoffs. He said that to me weeks ago. He said, I treat all left tackles as a speed bump or all right tackles. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I come from either side. They're all speed bumps to me because he has extreme confidence. Well, we'll see about the movement skills of Keenum because I have seen, and I'll stop here, I have seen Minnesota not block people deliberately and tell Case Keenum to take care of it by himself in the pocket, that you make the movement and the movement skills in order to keep this play alive. And if we don't block that guy, I get an extra blocker downfield when I throw either the screen game or the quick game so I can get a guy downfield. And I've seen it work for them throughout the season. We'll see how Keenum does in a high-leverage situation on Sunday, taking you across the league with Charles Davis. Charles Rams, undeniably one of the best regular season stories in all of football, but how much do you think they were impacted by a lack of postseason experience losing to Atlanta, or was that another media narrative? I think it's part of it. I don't think there's any way you get around it, Brian. I think it is, it is a part. And let's face it, maybe we as a media didn't give enough credence to the fact that Atlanta was the only team in the playoffs this year that wasn't in it last year. And I think that by them finding a way in, you know, my partner on on our games, Kevin Burkhardt, said about a month ago, he said, you know something? The Falcons remind me a little bit of the Cubs of last year, meaning the Cubs win the the World Series, and then the next year is just a slog, wasn't it? They got back to the playoffs, but, boy, it was difficult for them all the way through. Well, the Falcons went through the same thing this year. But it almost felt like to me Saturday night, that the Falcons actually, by getting in, is almost like they exhaled and found strength again. And they really carried it to them. So to me, yes, the experience and inexperience, that was part of it. But even bigger to me was Atlanta seemed to have their legs under them, had their, had their breath. They didn't have to worry about getting there anymore. They were back in a, in a place that was somewhat familiar. And the flip side is, I wonder... If Sean McVay, in reviewing it, I'd love to ask him, I'll probably ask him in the offseason, did he feel like he pressed Todd Gurley enough in the running game, or did he get away from it too fast? Let's go to the Jacksonville game. Um, I mean, this is a team that I think that no one truly wants to see 
in the playoffs in the AFC just because this defense has the mentality that they're going to be a great defense, but also if they have to be an offense, they can do the same. No noise about Blake Bortles and what what his deficiencies are, but how do you explain only being able to have 87 points, uh, 87 yards thrown, and the team still ends up winning? Um, Everything around you, because you mentioned the defense, Cordell, and that defense only gave up three points. I mean, they just played not above their heads. They played to their to the extent of their capabilities. It felt like, which which are considerable. It's a very good defense. I've been all year long. They're number two defense in the league behind Minnesota. So they played to that and were able to get around it. I also thought that while Blake Bortles only threw for 87 yards, I thought he did an excellent job with his legs to run for first downs, to run for key yardage, to not make the throw downfield that got them killed instead which has been part of his bugaboo throughout his career. So he ran for 88. And, yeah, it leads us to a lot of, wow, what are they going to do in Pittsburgh? But a quarterback's number one job is to find a way to win. And he did that. Now, they're going to need to do considerably more in Pittsburgh because Ben Roethlisberger is not going to throw five, five picks this time, right? I don't see Leonard Fournette getting 181 yards this time. So they're going to have to go to other things, and I do think that Blake Bortles got to hit some throws because I thought he was, you know, he was extremely inaccurate. It wasn't just one receiver's dropping it. He was really inaccurate in this game. But I will say this. I'm old enough to remember that Bob Greasy game against Oakland (laughs) where he threw for, what, 30-something? Mm-hmm. Ran for whatever. I think it ran for 39, threw for 34. I mean, it was some incredibly small number. And that was back when they had Zonka and Kick and Mercury Morris, and they found a way to beat Oakland. So the anomalies are out there, and Blake Bortles was part of that on Saturday. And we know Earl Morrill's not walking through that door in Jacksonville. Charles, I'm the guy no. who usually goes with and the Earl, And Earl references. wouldn't have been running either, Brian. Earl either threw it or that was it. He wasn't running it anywhere. I love when you jump in the hot tub time machine. Always great to have you on the program. When do you start making the transition to the path to the draft? Um, hopefully around uh, combine time, which would be, what, third week in February? Because so the path to the draft starts usually immediately after that. So keep my fingers crossed. I'll be a part of it. We'll see. Oh, come on, man. We got senior bowl stuff to talk about. There's always analysis as we get set for the draft in Arlington. Charles, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the postseason. Hope to see you in person when we get to Radio Row in the Super Bowl coverage coming up in Minnesota. Look forward to it. You guys take care of yourselves, okay? You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart live on the NFL on Tune. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The National Football League is on. Tune in.